Hello, it's Must See Monday, so it's time for another Must See Match. I am Kieran Lefort, and as always, I have Mark Buckledy here with me. Mark, how's things? I'm good, thanks. Excellent news. This week, we have not only our first match from the 1980s, but also our first Japanese women's match. So, to prevent us from looking like total fools, we've drafted in someone to guide us through this unfamiliar territory. Someone who knows much more about the history of Joshi Progress than either us two goons combined. Uh, One third of the Big Egg podcasting universe, Sarah Parkin. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Hey, up. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So are we. You you have come here with a torch to guide us through this dark cave. (laughs) I can only do my best. Fortunately, I don't think any. I never need an excuse to talk about the to talk about the the women that we're going to talk about on this episode. So I'm I'm excited. I'm raring to go. Excellent, um, Mark. Just quickly, we've swapped seats a little this week, right? You've seen this before, and I'm the noob. Um, no, I haven't actually seen this before. Oh, really? This is, this is the first Chigasinagayo match I've ever seen. The closest oh, I've, got I've one up come. The closest I've come to this was. Uh, the closest I've come to ever watching Crush Gals was watching a Crush Gals karaoke style match, which was Minoru Suzuki and Yoshihiro Takeyama <laughs> dressed as the Crush Gals against Dump Kiku and Bull Sakai. Oh, oh Minoru Suzuki wishes he could sing like Chikisenagaya. <laughs> I've never heard him sing. I'm just assuming this is true. Oh, th- this match is out there, and I will put this link out uh, when the podcast comes okay, out. Okay, good. You're making me do extra work on Twitter already. I have at least seen her as zero on Monday Nitro, which is, you know, not the high point of her career, but good Lord. Right, okay. So anyway, we should probably say this is uh, Chikusunagayo versus Dump Matsumoto, hair versus hair death match, August 28th, 1985. Uh, as Mark and I have mentioned, like we're new to this whole scene. Uh, Sarah, when did you first come across this match? When did you first see it? Oh, God, I feel like so this is one of those matches where I think a lot of people will tell you that when they first hear rumours that, you know, there is great women's wrestling in Japan. This is one of the matches that I think a lot of people get signposted towards just because I think um, they're when people name sort of the biggest, sort of some of the biggest names in the history of Joshi, which is Japanese women's professional wrestling, um, these are some of the names that tend to crop up. Um, Dump Matsumoto, for example, was one of the first women who was inducted into um, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, so they are, and Chikisunagaya also is one of those ones who went in, first ballot, no questions asked. Mm. Um, so they're very much in that, in that vein. But I think for me, I... My entrance to Joshi was maybe through what happened in the 90s. And it was specifically, it was people like Bull Nakana and mm. Akira Rokuto and Aja Kong. Um, and then you start looking into, well, okay, where did, you know, what were they doing earlier in their careers? Where did all of this come from? And you can't really spend any amount of time kind of looking online for sort of older Joshi wrestling videos, I guess, without coming across, you know, Chigas and Agayo in particular, because mm. as a as a popular cultural phenomenon, and I think it's the Joshi had this kind of real peak, almost like a lightning in a bottle moment in the mid 80s, where it was such a, a popular culture, real phenomenon. There were magazine covers, pop, you know, pop singles. Mm. Um, it really is, it's kind of they're almost everywhere if you're interested in Joshi, but I think most people would never come across them if you didn't already have that interest. They they, um, they managed to tap into the teenage girl market, didn't they? Which was like, yes. you know, so like they weren't just wrestlers, they were pop stars, they were on other TV shows and they were on these things that that audience was interested in. 
and that's what brought them to the matches. And, you know, I uh, I, I was going to save it for later, but looking at some of the close-up crowd shots, I counted exactly three men in an 11,000-seat building in the shots that were shown in this match. This um, is exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, something that we talked about on Big Egg Podcasting Universe quite a bit as well is the fact that there's kind of, especially round about the time when um, when Chigasa retires sort of in the late 80s and then moving into the early 90s, there's a shift in the demographic of who mm. the fans are. Mm. So actually, Joshi was female dominated probably for you know for quite a large swathe of sort of maybe the mid 70s through to sort of the late 80s mm. and then it shifted again and now i feel like there are only certain promotions probably where you would rely on it being a relatively balanced gender mm. mix i think that's true in all places but i think even in, you know in japan now as well um but one of those is marvelous which is the promotion which chikis nagaya actually runs mm. um because it's her promotion and she still has an awful lot of fans who have been following her from that day so mm. there are people who go to marvelous shows now who were teenage girls in in budokan hall in 1985 <laughs> you know and i and i find that absolutely delightful and every now and then she still sings a song during the interval and it's just wonderful <laughs> that is lovely um so you, you you started a little bit there but like so who are chigasa nagayo and don matsumoto and how do we get to the point where they want to tear each other's hair off in august 1985 <laughs> well, I think they, they spent a lot of the mid-1980s trying to rip the hair off of each other anyway. Um, but this is, I suppose, just to backtrack a little bit and tell you a little bit more about kind of where Joshi is at this point and where it's come to. Um, there's, a, there's some very simple storytelling that goes on through most of this period and kind of goes back from sort of the early 70s, really, where it's the very simple good versus evil kind of, but... Good and your baby faces are represented by very sort of relatable, very like young mm. girl next door type of, you know, that kind of character that I think mm. and, and Chigasa and her tag team partner in the Crush Girls Lioness Asuka, they kind of tap into that in a way that very few people really had done. Um, but the model that exists at this time pits them against the heels who are normally a bit older certainly but are also like much they're physically they're a lot more intimidating as mm. well so in a lot of ways um chigasa is sort of almost the platonic ideal of what that baby face should be to the audience and then dump matsumoto is exactly you know she's the devil incarnate you know as evidenced by the fact that um somebody didn't give her the memo that maybe you don't need to incorporate swastikas into your gimmick which is still I... definitely a thing that she does <laughs> so having seen like pictures of her before uh, i was actually surprised she didn't appear to have any on her in this match but what you're saying about chickens's appeal is almost exactly what i wrote down which is like for lack of a better term like the key to her popularity is that she is ordinary she looks like the vast majority of the audience she's not like an unattainable beauty she has a normal young japanese girl's haircut a normal but athletic physique and she just fights hard and doesn't give up and every i think every single 15 year old girl in that crowd thinks she's just like me and or i can be her they've all got out their swimming costumes and pretended to be her in their bedroom when their parents aren't looking Absolutely. And indeed, who hasn't done that in their daily lives, even in the 2020s? But this is, I feel like, 
one of the reasons why Chigusa is works so well and has actually worked so well at different stages of her life because spoiler alert nobody in Joshi seems to retire when they're meant to everybody sort of pays <laughs> lip service to retiring and then comes back like she made connections with them that are kind of so enduring and so hmm. and so really deeply felt I think actually that there are people who will still follow her wherever mm. she goes today um but that's a it's as much about kind of where they were drawing talent from and how they were building that crossover appeal because so Chigusa it helps the fact that you know she can actually sing and she is she's in a position where she comes into the dojo she wants to you know she wants to train to be a wrestler she's marketable because she has that connection she's not unattainable they're also mm. not wearing loads of makeup as well the people who wear the most um sort of makeup who kind of a very the big over-the-top characters that try to generate that through their appearance as well. They're they're the heels. That, yes. you know, they're the ones that, you know, they are the ones who are kind of almost turning themselves into monsters, whereas you've got kind of real, real women, I suppose. Yeah, I always, I always enjoyed all Japan all Japan women trying to use almost a full bucket of paint to make Bull Nakano look ugly. <laughs> yes, I mean, good luck to them on achieving that. Yeah, this is, yeah. No, it's, not, it's not, no one's got like the WWE makeup gun pointed at them. <laughs> We, yeah, and I think we can all agree that's for the best. But it actually goes back kind of in the so in the mid nineteen seventies, um, there was um, so there was a TV talent shows and not actually anything new. In the mid seventies, there was one that was running on Japanese TV, and it was won by I think she was only about fifteen actually, but she was very young um, by um, a girl called Match Fumiaki, who I think was singing. Um, but then she won this talent show and took all of that fame and took all of that notoriety and enrolled in the AJW Dojo. Oh, okay. Um, so they saw, yeah, because, you know, you finally have the opportunity. Why not go and learn to be a wrestler? Um, and obviously, AJW sort of starts to hear the, the whirring of the till in the background and they see the dollar <laughs> signs piling up. Um, and then they, so they go all in basically on promoting her as a star. And that begins with the recording a song for her to sing as well. So they realise that they've got this mainstream crossover appeal. Mm. So they really start building Match for Miyake. Um, and then she retires really soon after. I think it's 1976 when she retires. So they realise that they've sort of, basically they've bet on a horse that's maybe not going to finish the race. And then they think, well, okay. But there's a lot of money in this model. So the next phase is, well, what if there were two of them? So if one retired, we'd still have another. <laughs> um, so this this didn't go straight into um, Chigusa and um, Linus Asuka. This actually went into sort of their forerunners were the beauty pair who were kind of, um, so Jackie Sato, who then went on to form um, another promotion called um, called JWP later on, um, um, which was another kind of became the forerunner to LLPW. And there was a lot of, there's a whole branch of women's wrestling that comes out of Jackie Sato not staying retired. Hmm. Um, but Jackie Sato and Maki Ueda um, are kind of the the first version of the Crush Gals where they have these kind of, they, they're the first ones that really have like a series of hit songs and really start to build that. And AJW, I think, really understood how to ride the mainstream wave um and it was at a time when you know the idea of you know popular culture and youth culture has exploded to such an extent and teenagers it's a relatively good economic period in japan teenagers have actually got money to spend as well so this idea of piggybacking on the success and the allowances of young women essentially hmm. has really fueled ajw's growth up to this point and then 
you know, the, the beauty pair both retire um, and then eventually the crush girls come along as kind of the next iteration of that. So by this point, there's a very well-oiled machine in place mm. as well. So AJW knows how to make those stars. It just so happens that Chigasa and Asuka just have something that I think very few performers have had since where they have that ability to kind of connect with, with audiences. Mm. And I don't, I don't really know. I'd be interested to know if you guys can think of anybody who's done it in quite in quite that way and gotten quite the reactions from crowds that you see in this match. Uh, not in a mainstream. I mean, you have to think of people who were big WWE stars and then became more outside. So you're looking at people like The Rock and John Cena. Like they are the people mm-hmm. who transcended. Even like Steve Austin, who was like the biggest money drawer or what have you like he's when he then made movies they were all crap that went straight to video but the rock is now the biggest movie star in the world for example um but i don't want to hear him sing um although he did in moana didn't he um he did and he actually sings um a song called good morning sunshine on his short-lived alarm clock app the rock clock i don't know whether you've ever come across it <laughs> that guy will market himself in any way <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, exactly that, like that kind of connection. You're, you're dead right. And I think it's, as we said, like a lot to do with a lot to do with the, the image. So like how many people do you know who look like Hulk Hogan or the rock? I mean, and even staying within Japan, how many people do you know who look like Hiroshi Tanahashi staying within Joshi? How many people do you know who look like Manami Toyota or, or, um, Akira Hokuto, for example, like. Jigasa could have been any one of those women, girls in the schoolyard yeah. or what have you. And Dump Matsumoto is the monster heel every other monster heel wishes they could be. Being a little bit older as well, there's almost a, I don't want to go all psychodrama here, but there's almost a kind of you're angry at your mum type of feeling as well with her being, yeah. a bit old, being a bit older and just being a bit more physically imposing and so mm. Being someone that you can be angry at with impunity. Mm. And there's a lot of anger in this match. Yes. <laughs> oh, there is so much anger. So much anger. And it yeah. is interesting. You mentioned the comparison with um, Akira Hokuto or Manami Toyota. Because by the time they're kind of having some of the best matches of all time in sort of 1993 and 1994, mm. you've already undergone that change in kind of what, women's wrestling is in Japan and the audience has started to skew more male and it's kind of it's moved away from that we need to strike a chord with teenage girls they're kind of they're not really going for that anymore in quite the same way yeah the men kind of realize like the hardcore fans realize oh this stuff is good this is, shouldn't just be for girls we should be watching this too I don't want to compare it to the brony movement that took over my little pony but, <laughs> <laughs> like I think there is a parallel that could be drawn there <laughs> A slightly more favourable one, I hope. <laughs> but no, sorry, men ruin everything once again. Yeah, well, from from Nagayo to the Bronies, I feel like we've got, you know, we've already run the gamut with this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't even talked about the match yet. Um, <laughs> That's very but true. Like, the other thing I noticed about the connection was one of the crowd shots they showed, all of the, it's almost entirely, like, women, girls of this demographic that they're after all wearing the same kind of like silk yukata or jacket i couldn't tell from the footage like that they'd obviously bought at the merch stand at that show or a previous show all of them screaming chanting chigusa chigusa over and over like 
when like as soon as her music hits, it sounds like a boy band in two thousand and one have all ripped their shirts off at the same time. It's a One Direction concert. I'm not joking. Mm. I actually stopped as soon as Chigas's entrance started and tried to find her entrance to see was that the crowd chant or was that part of the actual track? Because my God, <laughs> that's probably up there with some of the loudest organized chanting i think i've ever heard for someone's entrance right it's like it was almost like the wcw piped in goldberg chants <laughs> but like no it was most definitely real and like the the noise like there's a constant noise level to this match that just sort of goes goes up a lot when chigasa is on on top uh, and then goes down a bit and then goes up again, but in a slightly more negative way, let's say a minor key when dump is on top. Um, it's almost like it's almost like there's white noise throughout the background of this whole match. I I don't know if I've ever heard anything like it, to be honest. Those famously quiet and reserved Japanese crowds. Yes, again, absolutely. I've been trying to puncture the balloon of that myth for years. Like if you think Japanese fans are quiet, you have not sat in a packed Corican Hall watching a Dragon Gate main event, for example, or, or anything like that. Like, no, no, no. They come in, they take their ties off, they get their beer, and they enjoy their wrestling very, very loudly. <laughs> There's something really special about hearing, and this is maybe just for me as a woman, I think one thing that really surprised me when I first discovered kind of this whole period was it really it really shocked me to hear kind of how high pitched the chanting mm. was. And I think mm. it was, the, this was revelatory for me when I first saw this match to see that there was a whole room full of, full of young women who were, you know, supporting one of their own. And actually the stories that come out in the ring are very much about kind of friendship and mutual mm. support mm. and things like that as well. And it's the kind of, it's the positive kind of, it's the female centric wrestling story that we've all spent, our entire lives being told doesn't exist because mm. we've always been told that, you know, wrestling is a you know, wrestling is masculine power theater. It's something yeah. I was genuinely, somebody told me on Twitter once that wrestling is crass male power theater. Um, and I genuinely, I mean, proof, if any, that, you know, Twitter is not for the same. It's got to be said, <laughs> but, but I found it really, you know, I just find that so interesting that it is, it gave me chills. Like I watched it again for this before we had this conversation. Mm. And every time I've watched that reaction, I get literal goosebumps. I get yeah. chills down the spine. And it's- it gets louder when they when the ring announcer says her name as well, which I didn't think was possible. Mm. Um, and the other thing about like you talked about kind of like the dynamic of the stories being told. This is also like schoolyard, large schoolyard bully against regular schoolgirl stuff. Totally. I think. And I like you can almost like draw parallels to manga and anime of like the normal girl who has to save the world against the giant monster. Like it's, it's all there in this one 11 minute match Absolutely. And, the, and the 20 minutes of mayhem that goes on around it. <laughs> and it is the, it is the build. So in, in various sort of tag related scenarios as well, it's not like these two have never faced each other before. This is very mm. much it's part of a, it's an ongoing feud, but it is kind of, 
It's never the only feud that all of these people are embroiled in, but um, so Dump and her partner, a young Bull Makana, or whichever um, partner she might be with from her to Stable, who were wonderfully named the Atrocious Alliance, um, mm. had been. Um, so they'd had battles for the tag championships against the Crush Girls, and and they'd been involved in plenty of kind of non-title matches at that point as well. So while I I don't speak Japanese, I don't really understand if they're screaming obscenities at each other or if there's any kind of in the pre-match <laughs> interview or anything like I've got no idea but every time you see them meet the body language is very clearly she gets a hate Dump Matsumoto because she thinks she's a terrible person mm-hmm. pretty much and Dump Matsumoto really likes being a terrible person and really hates people who don't get it I think pretty much and they're just they're set up as these kind of polar opposites who it's inevitable that it was going to get to this point and this is not the first match that they've had they will eventually have a rematch of mm. hair versus hair stipulation as well mm. um but it is you know in some ways this feud is the defining feud of the 1980s the the, the crass male comparison is sting versus vader but this is so much more heated than this ever got that's a really good point. I don't think I've seen much of the Sting versus Vader feud, and I feel like I should go back and give but it that a is, But that is much more the masculine power theatre thing, because, you know, yeah. Sting is the, the tall, blonde, handsome surfer guy, and Vader is the big, ugly monster. But as like I did a show with Alan Forel talking about Vader uh, like a few months ago, and I, I made the point there that, like, Vader is not the monster heel everybody says he is. He's just a difficult mountain to climb, and the key to him is how he sells and... Um, like, he is beatable, but you have to be very good to do it. Dump Matsumoto, as you put it, is just an asshole. Yeah, like, I've absolutely. Never, I've never seen a, a, a heel like her, to be honest. Mark, you're still awake. You look like you're frozen on the camera. I'm fine. We've been talking for about I, 20 minutes. I'm, I'm perfectly fine just sitting back and listening, to be honest. Okay. I, I will pipe in with various bits, but I'm just perfectly fine sitting back and listening. Okay, good. Okay, good. I would I love want... to know actually for someone who's never seen a Chigasa Nagayo match before, I would love to know what your what your impressions are of this match. I know we've talked about mm. crowd reaction and everything. But what do you think of what do you think of like her as a performer? I, there's I the bit that sticks out for me out of everything, I think that probably sums her up is uh towards the end you can see that people are trying to throw in the towel I'm jumping ahead and we'll get back there towards the end mm. they're throwing the towel in she has been battered she's bruised she's blooded and she sees the towel thrown in and she's like no no i'm 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 on the ropes i'm struggling no i am going to do this my way i'm going to gut it out and it's that kind of if i have to lose i'm losing on my terms nobody is is doing this for me yeah you also get the sense though that she constantly tries to win and she's not a passive participant because prior to this match i don't know if i've seen a hair versus hair match where both wrestlers attempting to stab each other with the scissors during the match (laughs) (laughs) on the contrary i think it doesn't happen enough (laughs) oh it doesn't so and how did we get to the point of them having a hair versus hair match? Was it just like, right, I can't take it anymore. I, I want your hair. As far as I can tell, basically, yes. I think it gets to a point where there are there are certain there are certain occasions, I think, where that is probably the most extreme match that mm. you can be. Especially when you think, you know, it would be 
a hair versus mask match, I suppose, is probably the more, or a mask versus mask match in in Mexico would probably be sort of the the logical, like mm. the highest possible end point that most feuds could go to because that's where the stakes get ramped up to mm. the most. Mm. I think in a women's promotion, hair versus hair is is kind of it's the nearest thing that compares because so much of kind of quote-unquote feminine sort of identity and the social pressures that are put mm. on women and everything. Mm. Hair is a very personal thing. Um, and I think especially, you know, in, in 1985, when you've got literally this woman who is on the front cover of a magazine mm. in this year, you know, for her to lose that thing, which is, it's part of what's recognisable and it's something that's very immediate as well. So I think the the connection that you have with the crowd when you think, oh my God, like, I love my hair. I couldn't lose my hair. What mm. would I look like without my hair? Like it's a, mm. it's panic inducing. Mm. Over a lot of and you've also got the them. Japanese element, which is shaving your hair is a sign of a tri- of a contrition. It's a sign of admitting I've made a mistake. So mm. historically there've been uh, people basically that are getting punished and they will shave their hair as part of it. So uh, as part of the I'm sorry kind of process. So again, you've got that element of the shame that cutting your hair brings as well culturally on top of the fact that, as you say, if you're a teenage girl and you suddenly, your hair shaved off, it's like, I mean, that's that open outcast. season. It's open yeah. season for people to just go all in on you. You're yeah. an outcast and Japanese society, like people, Japanese society is like, it's generally not seen as a good thing to stand out like people rebel in their own little ways but in general like it's it's quite a homogenous society and people are not necessarily happy to conform but on the outside like you 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 pretend that you're happy to be very similar to everybody else and have the same yeah yeah a, a girl a girl in 1985 with a shaved head in japan would have been quite a thing yeah, I guess so. And I think it's, um, I think in the context of this wider, uh, of this wider feud that they've been in, because I've actually, so I've got, I've got cage match up uh, in another tab whilst we're having this conversation. Oh, we all do that. Don't and worry. You're not. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm confessing to it now, but I mean, I've got, I'm on Dump Matsumoto's profile and I am looking back at all of her matches that include Chigusa Nagaya in the listing. Now, especially in the 80s, mm. I mean, it's worse for the 70s, but in the 80s, cage match is actually really quite incomplete because, I mean, yeah. not all the tapes survive. There's a lot of other things that are missing. But, I mean, the first time that... Um, Chigusa Nagayo and Dump Matsumoto sit on the other side of the ring from each other that's listed on Cage Match is in June 1981. Um, during wow. that time, there have been multiple trios matches. There's been a long-standing feud um, between Dump and um, whoever she's borrowing from the Atrocious Alliance at the time over the tag belts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the Crush Gals versus the Atrocious Alliance, whether that was Dump with Korean Yu or whether it was her with Bull Nakana, um, that has been going on in the background at the same time. And in fact, in earlier in this year, so in February 1985, um, Kuen Yu and Dump Matsumoto beat Crush Girls for the tag, for the tag titles. Um, and then they beat them again uh, a few days later. So that was mm. a two out of three falls match, which is probably great. Um, and then they didn't actually meet they had a bit of a summer break and then we got to this match in 1985 so they came back they came back from the school holidays and immediately started going at it again 
Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. So, but that's the kind of thing where knowing what we know about Dunk Matsumoto, and I haven't seen all of those matches, I think mm. I've seen at least one of the tag title matches. There's always going to be something where Dump, maybe she stabs them with scissors. Maybe there's a chain involved. There's mm. all kinds of other things where she will say, you robbed me of this match and now I'm going to take it out on you. Mm. And it gets very, it's, it's it's a very heated feud all the way through. Mm. And I think, you know, it, to an extent, it writes itself when you have the perfect baby face and the perfect heel. Eventually they are going to have to be on a collision course in sort of mm. the highest stakes match that you can do. Mm. Should we actually talk about the match? I mean, we could do. Yeah, we could. Uh, two, two things I, w- I want to do before we get into the match. When we talk about dump Matsumoto, dump does not mean poo. It does not mean garbage pile. It means dump truck. It's just she is big. That's why she is dump Matsumoto. And the word for that in Japan is just dampu. So that's why she's dump Matsumoto. The other thing is the use of the word death in a match stipulation in Japan particularly pre-Big Japan, usually just denotes that it's a stipulation match. So stuff like terms like cage death match and lumberjack death match are still used today, whereas in the West, they would just be a cage match and a lumberjack match. Uh, I think there was a time when it used to denote last man standing style referees 10 count is the way to win rules because it's taken from Texas death, but I could be talking out my ass. Uh, we talked about the pop for Chigas's music as she comes out, but out first is... Um, Dump and her army uh, with Crane you dressed as Dump Matsumoto and I think I like the idea behind this but I'm not sure what the point was because she didn't appear to fool anybody and it didn't really go anywhere she was just told to bugger off with the whole crowd chanting Kaere at her which basically is as close as the Japanese get to fuck off Um, uh, and then Dump takes off her she's sort of wearing a gimp outfit that she takes off and the match begins. <laughs> well, Dump Dump does sort of try to jump Nagayo, but the way it's shot, you can't actually tell unless you go back and watch it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I did like Crane almost beheading both of the commentators with a kendo stick as she rounds a corner on the outside. I Also, I really love that a load of the women just have animal names, like uh, Crane, Bull, Jaguar, Condor, and it would carry on with people like uh, Eagle Sawai, and I can't remember who else. Uh, there's a whole ton of them that just ended up with uh, with animal names. Azuz who, as it were. Oh, fuck's sake. <sighs> well, we're just going to have to let, let that one lie there, aren't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, li- we've mentioned her already. I think Lioness Asuka is one of the coolest ring names ever. And obviously, you know, a, a certain Kana when she went to WWE mm. and decided that she wanted to be known as Asuka, that's who else in tribute mm. to because she idolises Lioness Asuka. Absolutely. And why wouldn't you? Indeed. Uh, so as as Mark mentioned, uh, Dump sort of grabs Chugasa and runs her into two ring posts and uh, before the bell and then throws her around with a chain. Um, fuck this referee. Why is he admonishing the guy for using roundhouse kick? Like, is there a heel referee angle here or is he just a prick trying to get himself over? He's constantly in the way. <laughs> and yet later on, there's going to be scissors. Yes, mm. I did. I almost cheered when uh, Dump sort of stabbed him in the back of the neck with <laughs> to get him out of the way. He was just, he was my major, uh, the, my major pain in the backside in this match. Like, was he the heel in this match for you? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> like, it, like it, it was kind of like, there were t- so I've watched it twice and the first time I watched it, I honestly couldn't tell if he was a heel ref or on the side of the atrocious alliance because of 
Like, he would very obviously, like, restrain Chigusa more from using the weapons in a no-DQ match, it must be said, than he would restrain uh, Dump. Uh, and then, I mean, we're skipping to the end. At the end, like, he's the first person to cut Chigusa's hair. And it's almost like he's, like, he reminded me of, um, God, I cannot remember the guy who did it in Dragon Gate for um, Muscle Outlaws in the Blue and Black Stripes. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Tomoka? I can't remember his name. Anyway, yeah, he gave off that kind of Japanese heel ref vibe to me. Um, he really just, yeah, got in the way. Uh, I hated him. <laughs> Partially just incompetent as well, you know. The, yeah. good, old in, the good old incompetent referee is a, is as much yeah. of a trope in, in, in Japan at this point as it is anywhere else. Yeah, and I, and I think, like, that what they were trying to get at was that things were unfair for Chigusa in a way that you could perhaps watch a football match and think if you're on the watch if you're a fan of the side that's not doing so well you could think oh the referee didn't see that bad tackle the referee's turning a blind eye to things not that he's like you know definitely the heel ref but he's just not noticing stuff he should notice or he's like being too harsh on your on who you're rooting for I think it's confirmation bias, isn't it? You go in, there's almost a, especially if you're the audience and you believe that Chigas has got everything stacked Mm. against her Mm. in this match as well. You're absolutely going to see everything that's, you know, oh, you know, the referees against us. And, you know, you are going to read, you're going to read everything in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, And I think like that was sort of perhaps his instructions, but he took it sort of like, he took it too far and made it too overt um if like if this audience had not been japanese schoolgirls and this had been in memphis he would have been stabbed before he got to his car if he had done this to jerry lawley in memphis (laughs) um anyway um i said on the walter versus thatcher episode that to me watching volta matches is like if someone shaved a bear and showed it pro wrestling Watching Dump Matsumoto <laughs> is like if they is like if they showed it bar fights instead of wrestling. <laughs> I think she applies two recognizable holds in this whole thing, and the rest is just clobbering and weapons and just as I said, like she's the monster heel everybody every other monster heel wants to be. She really is. But this is I think part of the magic of Dump Matsumoto is that she could get through pretty much her entire career without doing a move. Yeah. Because that's not that's not who she is. That's not what she is. And it's it's also it's part of that face heel dynamic is that the faces try and that the faces want to learn and be good and train mm-hmm. really hard. And and the heels just want to hit you in the head with a bin. Yes, I did like the the introduction of uh the Japanese female heels weapon through time immemorial, the empty olive oil can. <laughs> I think it brings us all joy to see. Yeah, I you think know, so. The spirit, uh, the spirit lives on in Ajakon today as well. Exactly. Who, you know, still has refused to put down her bin. Exactly. Yeah. In so, some cases you, these days you can tell it's the bin because the number of times I've still seen a barcode sticker on those things. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be the weapons buyer for a British wrestling company and I would make sure I took all the price labels and stuff off before uh, before they went out to the ring. <laughs> Oh, I bet that was a fun job, though. Oh, the, the, the one that has lived on was the time that we... I, I used to go to Poundland in my hometown at the time, uh, and the two good ones were they did had two Dreamcast keyboards for a pound, and they had a garden gnome. And poor Solid Gold Scott Parker had a garden gnome put on his testicles and then smashed with a spade by Ulf Herman in the middle of the ring. 
you're a monster because you are responsible for that. <laughs> I know. That's still Matsumoto levels of cruelty. Scott and I have talked about it, and I think he's forgiven me. <laughs> so a blood-covered uh, Chikusa Nagayo gets uh, the Sasori Gatame, the Scorpion Deathlock, Sharpshooter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, her, is that is that her uh, like her finisher? Or, 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 a, or a signature hold, at least, for her? It's a signature hold, and I think, but it's actually, it's a very, it's a common signature hold, I think, for a lot of, for, for a lot of women in Japan. Um, mm. Certainly, um, we, we have this image of kind of the classic, every rookie taps out to a Boston crab and every rookie learns a Boston crab as the first thing that they do. Yes. There are other holds that mm. sort of people build into sort of their arsenals as they go along, I guess. Um, so this is definitely one of hers. Her actual finisher is a move called the running three, which we have not seen in this match. Okay. Um, yeah, so the the running three, you will stay, she's actually done relatively recently as well, because, again, she's somebody else who just didn't stay retired. Yes. Um, but more <laughs> on that later. Um, so she 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 clamps this onto, uh, uh, onto Dump, and it's a great visual of her, like, defiantly pumping her fist in the air as she turns it over. And you have to mm. wonder if, like, a bit later on, Bret Hart saw this and went to Steve Austin and went, let's do exactly this, but you'll be the one who's bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> because it's almost a prototype for like for that classic shot of of Austin pushing up out of mm-hmm. it with the with the blood running down his face. Except in this case, it's Chikasa who's got the hold on, and she's the one covered in blood, screaming. Uh, one of Chikasa's crew gets into an argument with the ref and takes a swing at him as the heel army get dumper table. The babyface going to start throwing towels in, as we mentioned, and the guyo just like picks them up and throw defiantly throws them out again. Uh, I, I just love that visual. It's, it's just great. it sums everything up about the match. It's mm. like she she's been beaten, she's been damaged, she, her her attempts to win are getting cut off, the mm. opponents are getting involved on the outside. But no, I'm not. I'm not giving up. And it's very rarely been done so well anywhere else. Yeah. Certainly, it's not been done this well any of the times I've seen it done in sort of American men's mm. wrestling. I've never seen it done as well as it's done here. Yeah. Uh, dump brains Nagaya with a chair, and the referee counts her down for the ten, even though she's on for all fours at nine, uh, and that's the end of it. Uh, dump all fours doesn't count. Apparently not. Context. A- no. Apparently not. Uh, Dump's strut and swagger as the referee is counting is just incredible. Like she's just the biggest piece of shit, and it's wonderful. Like yeah, she was the bully, she was the winner, and it was easy. She crushed eleven thousand people's hero, and she fucking loves it. And she's gonna keep going if you like. If you give her the chance, she's gonna yeah. crush all your dreams all over yeah. again. Share which, this time. Which which of these girls in the white t-shirts and red shorts is going to be the next one to get flattened? Because that's what like, what all of Chigus's corner are wearing. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I don't know whether you've seen. Um, I don't know whether there are any um, World of Sport matches in the in, in our kind of must see match inventory. Um, but there are some incredible scenes from kind of late seventies, early eighties World of Sport in the UK where. It's still real to us, damn it. And very mm. much there's a, honestly, the, there are occasions when people are being physically restrained from getting in the ring and going after the heels. Like it gets really personal and really visceral. Oh, I, I got into wrestling because my paternal grandmother would watch it every Saturday on on TV and loved yelling at giant haystacks on her television. That's, she's the, that's the reason I'm a wrestling fan. These mad old grandmas who wanted to s- stab the wrestlers with pens. <laughs> 
<laughs> the ones that you could always rely on to smack somebody with their handbag if they crossed them in the front row. That's <laughs> yeah. But apparently my grandma also used to love watching Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks. That was the one that she enjoyed of the it's time. Not about, but, it's never about the baby faces, is it? It's always, with grandmas, it's always about the bad guys. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure Handbag some, justice. I'm sure there were some nice kind of... Nice young men that they really wanted to support, but it really was mm. all about getting those baddens out of there. It's one of the areas where, you know, sometimes grandmas, if they hit you with a handbag for real, like if, if you crossed them, it would be frowned upon, but it's fine if it's a wrestler, mm. you know, and it's an outlet for all of that rage that you have <laughs> the rest of the time. There's just something about a great heel that just just riles you up, just let lets you vent, lets you go. And honestly, in this Matsumoto is utterly sublime as a heel. Like yeah. one of the best heel performances I can remember. She's perfect. And we've got to the end of the match and then all hell breaks loose as if it hasn't been wild enough already. As we said, the match itself runs, goes 11 minutes and like it's a wild fight from start to finish. And then it's we've got... It's really not about no, wrestling moves. No. And I don't actually recall many moves happening in I, the match. So, Apart uh, from those submissions. Did yeah. you make a list? If you made a list, I'm really impressed. No, 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 I didn't. But what I did notice is that there's one pinfall attempt and it amounts to a solitary one count in this match. Yes. Everything else is like, there are submission attempts, but everything else is just ripping and tearing at each other. And then um, Nagaya gets clonked on the head and she's, she's TKO. Uh, they, like, they don't try to pin each other. That Well... Um, uh, th there might be another roll-up that doesn't even get as far as a count. But as far as I'm aware, there is yeah. a single one count in this match. There, there was a couple of roll-ups near the start uh, mm. from Nagayo, and that was probably it. And it's just yeah. a submission attempt. Yeah. Um, so the the babyface girls fill the ring and corner the ref. Uh, Chigusa is on the commentary table yelling into the microphone. There are countless women in the audience crying. Uh, the heels get hold of her and drag her back into a chair in the middle of the ring. The referee has a physical altercation with Lioness Asuka. Uh, she, he drags her away from the officials who may or may not have been the Matsunaga brothers who run the place. I couldn't tell. Uh, I couldn't tell exactly who it was either. Yeah, but it's, it's like 1985 VHS quality we're trying to watch this in. This is not HD by any means. Uh, so he physically drags her away, only for her to turn around and boot him right in the kidneys, which he doesn't <laughs> like, and he, he make, takes a swing at her. Um, uh, and all this time, Dump is strutting around with the clippers, taunting people on the mic. Um, then the haircut starts, and like the the referee, as I said, is the first one to make a cut, and the crowd, who are already screaming their heads off, somehow get louder. Dump goes to work with the Clippers, and we talked about like uh, like a Japanese woman having her head shaved in 1985 and what that might mean. What she does, I think, is worse than shaving her bald. Like, yeah. there's there's dignity and baldness, but she gives her this embarrassing mess of a haircut, and now the hero is an ugly disgrace. That is it, quite a common thing in hair versus hair matches, though, isn't it? Because yeah. you're doing because mm. you're doing a rush job with your scissors and your clippers, mm. it's generally expected that you kind of you do that, you take that first cut, and you kind of you know you've almost got that hair that you can then raise as a trophy. Yeah, yeah. But mm. then after that, they will go away and get it tidied up. So I'm not yeah. that didn't feel out of that that didn't feel necessarily any more notable than any of the other utter chaos that's happening around what it. i did love is so for most of this uh, As uh not asuka nagaya is on a chair so she's being held down you've constantly got people trying to 
save her trying to uh to sort of help her try to just whisper it'll be all right in her ear mm. and then at one point uh dumps just right sod it drags her by the hair to stands her up and drags her to another part of the ring and just goes at it again and the crowd get louder yeah, she holds her over the ropes, so she's showing the crowd what she's doing to their hero. And there's another part of this. It's one of my favourite wrestling tropes. A seething, distraught babyface being watched, being forced to watch something awful happen to someone they love. So Linus Asker and some other girls of the corner who've been trying to like stop the heels from perpetrating this awful act, they're being held down and being forced to watch their friend have her head shaved. Like, I lo- absolutely love it. <laughs> They're the audience proxy as well. Exactly, yeah. This is the thing, is that everybody in that building would die for Chikasinagaya. Yeah. And if you think think that you sitting there crying in the stands, if you think it's a bad day for you, you look at Lioness Asuka and go, she's the only person Mm. who knows how I feel right now. Yeah. Like, Asuka looks like she's been to war. She looks like she's Mm. the one who lost the hair versus hair match. Like, she would absolutely... And she was just on the outside. The yeah. only person she hit was the ref. <laughs> <laughs> you frankly deserved it in that yeah, circumstance. Absolutely. This is where, it goes back to that kind of the world of sport analogy as well, of the, the occasions where a heel would be so over that, you know, there'd be not only the grandmas with the handbags, but there were occasions where like you'd get the like the the blokes in the front row be getting up and trying to get into the mat, trying to get into the ring yeah. themselves and mm. literally being held back. Mm. It's that same kind of energy that's going on here because it's kind of there's so much. There's so much. It's partially it's it's rage, but it's also it's just heartbreak for this person that they idolise and that they relate I, yeah, to. So I don't much. think it's even rage at getting at the heels. It's helping someone they see as a friend who would never let them down, mm. like yeah. trying to help her out of that situation. I think. And actually, this is the one of the things that I find really magical about this period of Joshi, and one of the things that I love about seeing these kind of reactions is Mm. we were told for a very long time, especially for me as someone who grew up in the attitude era slash ruthless aggression, whatever we're calling that point these days, Mm. where every storyline revolved around Jerry Lawler telling you on commentary that all women hate each other. And... Yeah, that and it's not just Jerry Lawler likes. That's how the characters were uh, were portrayed, even up until fairly recently. Like the only character for females in WWE is bitch who hates all the other bitches. That's exactly even it. the ones they're tagging with. Exactly, there's no friendship. And yeah, I think what what Jerry Lawler does most of the time, apart from being you know the voice of the misogynist viewer, mm. is because oh, sometimes you just need to watch those matches with the sound off. Um, but <laughs> it's also that he is he's just making the subtext text like that's the yeah. story that everybody's. It's being booked from the point of view of the booker thinks that all women hate each other and that therefore that's the story that he's that he's telling, mm. and that's been true, and that was true, you know, most of them. So to come into to, to come in and see, and the Crush Girls have this really long relationship, and and Chisa doesn't really turn heel at any point. To be mm. honest, she's but you know she's beloved all the way through until actually kind of in the in the nineties they start doing, t- um, you know she starts doing turns when she gets into Gay her own promotion, mm. um, and that's a you know there is a. There's a story in watching, you know, the baby faces of the company, the crush girls, but also all of those other sort of juniors and everybody else who's on the outside trying to get in mm. is that all of them are really looking out for each other. And mm. it's so refreshing 
to see the stories of actually women who just want to support each other and be friends. And even though that takes them into these really emotional places, like mm. there's actually something that's kind of quite special and that I haven't really seen replicated in many places in quite the same yeah. way. No, because uh, I, I think uh, like a lot of other promotions then took their cues from that Attitude Era slash Ruthless Aggression Era WWE because like that's what they grew up watching and that's what they thought wrestling should be like yeah i mean even in that company like uh, it go even i don't want to man this but like it even goes beyond women like people don't get along with each other tag teams never get along with each other nobody teams up it's all about the pursuit of individual glory like there is no there's no good in being in a team in that company because you're only put together to split up and then one of you will go on and win a singles title like and this that's one of the many many reasons i don't i can't watch it um, There's something really difficult about the, the inevitable end point of tag team wrestling, certainly in, let's face it, WWE, where mm. we're talking about at the moment. People are only put into tag teams so that they can eventually split and have a singles feud. Exactly. Yeah. Orton and Riddle were supposed to be together for three weeks. And you know what? It's lazy storytelling for the men. For for women, mm. it's actually it actually also has that dual function of being quite insidious. Yeah. Um, mm. you, you know, because it reinforces that narrative that frankly everybody should be passed. I mean, so the the Crush Gals formed in 1983, as I mentioned before. Mm. Um, when the Crush Gals finally explode, it's 1988. Mm. They have a five-year run, and then eventually, you know, they they're feuding over the title in nineteen in sort of nineteen eighty-eight. There are mm. there are injuries; it takes quite a long time. Mm. But then in nineteen eighty-nine, they both retire. Mm. It's so pretty much they were put together to be a a career tag team, and then they realised, yeah. well, there's a match we haven't done here that would make us a ton of money before mm. these guys both go. You know, so they they committed to that as a, they committed to them as a unit, even though they would each go off and have singles feuds, they would each have title shots. The Crush Gals were always together, mm. you know, and that kind of that that period of having duos on the top, I think, actually, probably gave you know, the young women in the audience, some of the kind of the, the I don't want to say role models, but certainly there is something that I think people really admired about that support that they had for each other. Yeah. Is there a difference between role model and someone you look up to? Like, can we make a semantic distinction there? I think you can look up to people without wanting to model yourself on them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Just like positive characters. The The thing that strikes me the most about this whole say you know the start the middle the end everything about this is the crowd connection to uh to mm -hmm. the is is they're just so connected on an emotional level i don't think i've ever seen a crowd that emotionally invested in someone no. in wrestling yeah i think um I feel like I feel quite bad for having mentioned the Observer twice now in a single in this single episode, but I think Dave Meltzer's on record as saying that the loudest reaction he's ever heard to a wrestler is when he was in he was in an AJW show watching Chikasan Gaia come out. He said he's never heard anything like it. And on this evidence, that wouldn't surprise me at all. There mm -hmm. is one final image from the match uh, after everybody's finally out of the ring and Chikas has been taken down the aisle with a with a towel over her head. They cut to the commentators and one of them has a big clump of her hair in his hand as they talk to each other. And it's such like, it's a great final image to end on. Um, 
I wrote, I'm not sure I've just watched a wrestling match, but it sure was an experience. Like, so the first time I watched it, I wasn't sure how I felt about this. I had to go away and think about this match for a week. A week? Yeah. I, so I watched this. I, I had nothing to do uh, like a, an afternoon uh, last week. Uh, and I watched this and I was like, oh, first it was rage at the ref and him getting in the way. Uh, and I was like, I like, and like the whole sort of like almost screwy finish, and like the uh, the 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 having to hide weapons from a referee in a no DQ match, and it like it all just sort of like prodded up my logic centers, which are highly tuned. One of the companies I used to work for, my unofficial job title was logic inspector. I was the one who made sure the stories made sense. And so, like, there was stuff in this sort of like that would not pass the logic inspector test. Thank God for you on behalf of promotions everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it was the shittiest company, though. Uh, I watched it again today and I thought the whole thing was just amazing. Like, without the idiot ref, this whole thing would be like a million stars. Um, it's, it's a spectacle. Like, it, it absolutely is must see. That mm. I think, I think we're kind of talking about it you like sarah you've provided some context for us for this like i've watched this twice essentially without any context uh, and i think like if, if hearing this has piqued people's interest and like has given them the context like i absolutely recommend like finding this match and watching it like if it's on youtube i am going to stick the link in, in in the show notes for this. Like, it is on YouTube. It yeah. is very much, it, it is, it's on YouTube. The one thing that I would say is make sure you get the one that's dated the 28th of August, 1985. Um, if you get the one from 1986, mm. watch it second because the rematch is full of really, really lovely, really well done callbacks to this match mm. and you won't appreciate it as much unless you've seen the first one. I was going to ask Mark, is the 86 rematch in the 104 that we're going to cover? Because if it's not, I'm going to go and watch it tomorrow. <laughs> I don't believe it is because I think this was the only Chikasa Nagaya match that's in the 104 that we're going to cover. Yeah, I think Dump has one more, but this is Dump the only Dump has Nagaya one match. more. This is the only Nagaya one. Yeah. Uh, if there's, if anybody would be interested, I am happy to put together some recommendations of some of the like classic Nagaya matches if anybody wants to go through and have a look at them. Because I do think she's a... We sometimes we throw the words generational talent around mm. a little bit too much, but there truly has been nobody like her. Honestly, I'm going to take you up on that offer. So yeah, and I think so also, because one of the, one of the things you get her connection from this, and you get her never say die asked you from this. But one of the things you don't get is you don't ever get to see if she actually has any technical wrestling skill because it's just a fight nonstop. Like really you can't true. you can't tell if she is actually a good mechanical wrestler. All you know is like she is your hero and she will never let you down and then she does. Yeah. One of the lovely one of the lovely things about this, and as well, it's um I think actually you mentioning the idea of, you know, then she lets you down is that I think the nearest con sort of contemporary reference to us to mm. that's kind of like this is again, don't want to man this, but CM Punk coming back in August um, in August in yeah. coming back in, in Chicago and the 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 cut the promo that he cuts when he starts to say, I understand if any of you yeah. ever felt disappointed mm -hmm. in the choices that we make. And because he's a master, the crowd is in the palm of his hands. Everybody mm -hmm. in that crowd is chomping at the bit to tell him that he hasn't let them down and he could never let them down. Mm -hmm. um, and it is 
that's probably like CM Punk in Chicago is the closest we've got on the planet today to what's happening in this room during this match. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's the classic, you could never let us down. Look how badly you were screwed. She stabbed you with scissors. The referee was against you from yeah. the start. You can never do anything wrong in our eyes. You know, mm. there is something, you know, that that genuine sort of the that love and that kind of the desperation to make it better because every single one of those people would probably take it, would probably mm. take the head shaving for her. Yes. Mm. Or give her their own hair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, I mean, what I will say, to your point about not being sure, I think the whether she can wrestle or not, I think the point of this match is that it's a heated feud that was always going to get a little bit, it was always going to get a bit aggressive anyway, mm. but dump controls the terms of this match right from the yeah. start. She gets the jump early. She plays the mind games. She drags Chikasa down to her level. And one of the reasons why in the end she manages to get the win is because she has dictated the pace, the turn, the way that that match yeah. is going to mm. be wrestled. So, you know, the there are other scenarios in which you will see Chikasa Nagaya and she'll be wrestling someone different and you'll get a completely different side of her. And certainly some of the tag matches as well, where you'll mm. see we have not, you know, it's a shame that we're not mentioning any Linus Asker matches in this one in this one four because I think there are some incredible matches with her as well. Um, I am unpopular in my house for being the person that thinks Linus Asker might be a little bit better technically than Chisa. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But that, but consider how high the bar is. Mm-hmm. You know, which again you haven't seen yet, but I'm very happy to send you guys some recommendations of like where to start with Chisa Nagaya. Mm. Well. Uh, there was a Nagaya match that pretty much missed out on the list by about one vote, and that was the Devil Misami match from 1985. Oh, that is a banger. <laughs> 1985 was a. So, in my notes, I've actually got some of my notes from when we talked about um, this in Big A Podcasting Universe in front of me. Um, and literally in my notes, I had written the words peak chig um, because this was like. <laughs> So, because so, Chig is how this name is always about, it is kind of always reduced in my notes. Mm. And this is 1985 is pretty much the biggest year for women's wrestling in terms mm. of obviously, um, you know, you're getting bigger houses in the 90s. You're getting bigger, you know, when you're, you know, you're making lots of money and probably in ring, that's when the greatest matches of all time are happening. But in terms of sheer, cultural importance and in terms of that that organic fan base that came out of that appealing to women like 1985 is the year for mm. it really so the devil masami match is another really good example but a different type of heel because devil and dump are different propositions i think although that's interesting to think about between the devil and the dump <laughs> what the a, title of Chigas's autobiography what a, what a vision uh mark do you have anything else to add about this match before we take it home uh, all I'll say is, if you just take the match in of itself, just the match itself, I'm not sure if I would call this great. If you take it holistically, everything, I would call it must-see. It, it, it really is. The the whole package, I've got a friend who insists that the best matches can only be the best if literally the entrances, the match, the post-match, if it all hits and my God, the entrance and especially the post-match just makes this work. Mm. The match is just the second act of three in this half-hour yeah. presentation, really, isn't it? It's just, yeah. yeah. If you ask me what makes this match must-see, I think it is, this is a moment in time. Like, this is, mm. it, 
it emphasizes, I mean, it's, it's the very simple, it's a very simple, very effective type of booking, which I think in terms of understanding how to book this kind of match, like, I don't think it could have been done much better. Um, but I think it's, you know, as a, it's a ring psychology masterclass. And you can tell that because you can see the impact that it's having on the audience. And the fact that me sitting here 30 does some quick maths, 37 years later, near enough, yeah. is, you know, I'm getting shivers down my spine watching this match now. It tells you how well it works. It, it's warm in here, but I've been sweating talking about this match. It's I like I enjoyed this so much watching it again today. It's like you said, it's the complete the, the as Mark put it, like the whole package is a musty package. The match itself is a is just a fight, but the whole thing is like just an incredible piece of drama. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on this show and guiding us through all this today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries. The floor is yours. Feel free to plug whatever you would like to plug. Feel free to cut out anything where I get carried away with myself. But top things to point out. I was introduced as the co-host of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. If you want to hear me talk an awful lot more about Chigusa Nagayo and the growth of Joshi Wrestling, um, and crucially, if you want to hear other people who are not me talk about the growth of Joshi Wrestling as well, I understand. Um, please check out, um, so on SoundCloud, it's the Puro Puri podcast, which is, um, so the guys from the Puro Puri podcast have their own um Japanese wrestling podcast as well. Um, but I live with one of them and I made very clear to him that if he was going to talk about women's wrestling, they should probably talk to some women. Um, and thus there have been some episodes where I've appeared as well, talking about matches with people like Archie Kong. Um, and they did actually do um, one show where they talked about the Budokan Hall 1985 show that Chikisa versus Devil Masami is on. Um, so there's an entire episode that's actually devoted to that show as well. Um, but then Big Egg Podcasting Universe is the series where I, along with George and David from from that team um, are going match by match or theme by theme through Big Egg Wrestling Universe, which is the 24 match, 10 hour long wrestling and other combat sports extravaganza that took place in 1994 um, in the Tokyo Dome. It's the only time that a women's wrestling show has actually headlined Tokyo Dome. Um, so that is... Um, We've been having a lot of fun doing that. Episodes are coming out relatively slowly because we've all got jobs. Um, but that's been so gradually we've been doing that piece by piece. Um, and now would be a good time to jump in because we are not too far away from finally getting to the VTOP tournament, which is the, the eight woman tournament that closed the whole show and includes your big hitters like Aja Kong, Manami Toyota, um, it's a great time, I would say, to start listening and catch up on everything that you've missed. Um, so, yeah, I would check out the Puro Puri podcast SoundCloud or alternatively, um, I can give you, I can give you the link to include in the show notes um, and follow me. If you follow me at Sarah Parkin one on Twitter, um, I can post those links out there as well. Um, just one other very quick thing to plug as well, which is also me talking about Joshi, um, is I had an essay published in a book called Women Love Wrestling, which came out last year. Um, so that is, it's a collection of essays by and about women who love and participate in wrestling. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's a great collection of essays. I'm right at the front and mine's quite short. So you can skip straight past that and get to some far more interesting people talking about other things. So Mick Furley has actually independently read this book and reviewed it on Twitter saying that it's incredibly well written. And because my essay is first, I would like to think that even if he didn't finish the book, he's still talking about me. So genuinely, there is no higher praise than the thought that Mick Foley may have read and approved of this book. 
book. Um, but if that's not enough to swear you, um, you can get this on Amazon and all proceeds from the sale go to Rain in the US um, or they go to Women's Aid in the UK as well. So it's really worthwhile. My essay is actually about... Um, the idea of a women's wrestling fan base and explaining how this happened and how it grew in Japan um, and what's happened since. So it links with a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. Um, but all links will be provided. And failing that, chuck some money at Women's Aid. They deserve it. Fantastic. Thank you. As for us, uh, this week's plugs are long, complicated and involve a bit of time travel. So here we go. Linktr.ee slash matches has links to this show's Twitter, my Twitter, Mark's Twitter, all the ways to subscribe to the show and much, much more. By the time you hear this, I will have been on GCP talking about a Ring of Honor show that I'd never heard of until Andy asked me to be on and in this timeline still haven't watched. So hit up at GCP Podcast One on Twitter to find the link for that when it goes out. Mark and I have another podcast called DD Teach about DDT Pro Wrestling, which will also have a new episode out by the time you hear this, but we also haven't recorded that yet. Uh, <laughs> we'll be covering last week's Cyberfight Festival uh, and the rather unexpected ramifications that uh, came out for DDT as a company from that show. Hmm. Next week, we'll be joined by our first wrestler on this podcast. Veteran of the British scene, Shady Natras, will be dropping by to talk about Eddie Guerrero versus John Bradshaw Layfield from Judgment Day 2004. That's all from us today. Thank you to Mark as ever. Thank you to Sarah for being our torch in the darkness. And thank you for listening. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.